going back to premortal life, do you remember, according to Abraham's account, why he sent us here on earth? Go to Abraham chapter 3. The whole purpose of earth life was to test what question? Abraham chapter 3, pearl of great price. We, we, we speak of it as keeping our first estate, our first estate being premortal life. Those who kept their first estate are the ones that came here. And what was the very test? What did he say from the very beginning? Notice in verse 23, I got, and God saw that these souls were good, and he stood in the midst of them and said, I will make these my rulers. For our, He stood among those that were spirits. And he saw that they were good and said, Abraham, you're one of them. Verse 24, and there stood one among them that was like unto God. That's Jehovah. And he said unto those that were with him, we will go down for there is space there. And we will take of these materials and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. And then the very next thing out of his mouth, the whole reason for creating an earth is what? We will prove them herewith to see what? Will they do all things that the Lord their God commanded them? So what is rightfully labeled the first law of heaven? Obedience. You will never obtain a kingdom of glory unless you learn to obey at some level. You must do what he asks. Why would Heavenly Father give you a kingdom of glory if you did not do what he asked? It's simple, right? Now, we're going to spend a little bit more time on that in just a minute, but I want to show you the connection. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, can I ask a question? Why is obedience so important? Allow me to throw that out there. Why is it so important that I learn to obey, that I do what he asks. Because it brings order. Okay, what do you mean? Just that like when there's a law, it provides guidelines and parameters. Because um, like we think about the law of gravity didn't exist, nothing would stay. <laughs> like, it, it, there's just no power being acted upon, so there's no really... Good. No, I like that. Order. It shows that we trust in him and that we love him as well. We keep his commandments. It shows our love for him. So let me push that. Why show that? Why would I want to show him that I love him? Because it shows that we're ready and that... I mean, honestly, it, yeah. am I just brown-nosing him? Am I the teacher's pet in showing him I'll do whatever he asks so that I'm the one that's chosen hall monitor? I don't mean to be facetious, but why should I show him that I love him? Why does that matter? Why obey? I think if we don't understand why we obey, it's going to be hard to do it, especially when it's difficult. So why obey? Right. Kenna? Like learning how to God, we're learning the ways of Him because we're, that's our destiny. So. so I'm doing what He asks, so that what? What does it mean to learn heaven? 
Maybe I asked the question a different way. Go ahead. I don't know. This might be a little thought that's kind of out there, but even God has laws that he's obeys. Law of justice, law of mercy, things like that, right? And so even God, who's all-powerful, would cease, in the scriptures it said, he would cease to be God if he didn't follow these and obey them. So, so let me paraphrase. He can only have his power if he does with it what law dictates he should do with his power. If he doesn't do what law dictates, then he can't have that power. Therefore, let me ask the question a little bit differently. When should God give you the power that he possesses? When should he give you that power, James? There it is. God will give you his power when you do with it what he does with it. To our knowledge, there's only been one person in the scriptures that, that has been given God's unlimited power. To my knowledge, as I search the scriptures, one person was, said, was told, you have unlimited power and whatever you say will happen. Can you think of who it was? To whom did God give unlimited power? Nephi, it's Helaman actually, but you're thinking third Nephi. Yeah, well, he, Nephi, Nephi son of Helaman. That leads us into third Nephi. So why did God give him unlimited power? Let's read it. Helaman chapter 10. Helaman chapter 10. Here is a man that according to our scriptures was granted unlimited omnipotent power. To the point where if he said it, it would happen. Now the question was, why? Why was he given unlimited power? So Helaman chapter 10. Let's get to the point where he, get, he, he receives the power. Ready? Um, it starts in verse 4, but I want to jump to... Verse 7, I give unto you power. Whatsoever you seal on earth shall be sealed in the heavens. Whatsoever you loose shall be loosed in heavens. And thus shall ye have power among this people. If ye say unto this temple, it shall be rent in twain, it shall be done. If you say unto this mountain, be thou cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. Behold, if ye say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. In other words, what was he just given? God's power. Now, why? Let's crawl backwards, and I want to start in the very end of verse 5. Why was Nephi given God's power? The Lord said what? I know that you won't do anything with it that he wouldn't do. So if I can ask a, blat a blunt question, why don't I have God's power? You can say it. I'm okay if you say it. Why don't I have God's unlimited power? I would not do with it what God does with it. Here's what's interesting. Tell me what Nephi, what's the first thing Nephi does with his omnipotent power? Anyone know the story here? What's the first thing that Nephi does? 
Look at the chapter heading of chapter 11. Tell me the first thing that Nephi does. He calls for a famine. I would probably use my omnipotent power to ease pain. And he used his omnipotent power to cause pain. Why? Because he knows the overall perspective. Do you see why we practice obedience? I practice acting like him so that it becomes my nature to act like him. So that when I am acting, when I have become what he is, I can have the power that he possesses. So obedience becomes the first step. You will never, ever have his power unless you do with it what he does with it. So start practicing and do what he asks. James? It just reminds me of the scripture, how the Savior says, how knoweth a man the master whom he hath not served? And it's just like, we have to spend time with him too. Yeah. And like, we serve him, which is a commandment, which is being obedient. Like, you know, we, we are who we spend our time with. Yeah. And so obedience is imitation, isn't it? What, what do little boys who love basketball do? They imitate their favorite player. And isn't that what we're doing with Heavenly Father? I am imitating my favorite player by doing the things that he does. I must obey if I desire to have his blessings. First law of heaven. Will you do what he asks? Will you obey? James? So I, I think my mind is going a million miles away. <laughs> stop me if you want, but just that like with obedience and like parents, you know, because I've seen situations where parents tell kids to do something, but the actions differ from that that law that they proclaim and then obedience goes down the drain and there's no respect there but when you know with God being perfect and him following his laws perfectly you know it's like okay we can trust in him and that it's going to be fulfilled when you know and just like when Whitney and I when we become parents it's like okay we need to be persons of our word and not you know, and actually follow through and obey the laws that we set down as well. You know, it's like, yeah, go to bed early. Okay, we're going to go to bed early too. So that, you know, or just other things like that. And so it's just kind of neat to see that. I know what my parents would do in this situation. They have clearly established what they would do. Therefore, I am going to do the same thing. Because they have the You begin to see that pattern. I think too, when you say that like, imitate God and become our very nature and become like him and then even like a little kid who plays basketball I think too often we think of obedience as kind of a quid pro quo relationship if I do this God gives me this but in reality if the basketball analogy is perfect if you practice as hard as Kobe Bryant every day you'll by very nature become like Kobe Bryant every day so when we are obedient to God it's not like well I've been obedient this long now God gives me this much we by very nature start to become beautiful do you see the need to obey at all those le levels? And I would just like to yeah, quid pro quo. Yes, that. Um, it means I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So more than just that, um, I think that maybe the blessings that God gives us is because we have enabled him to use his power in that way. He has to follow rules with his power, and he would love to give us those blessings. We just have to enable him to be able to. You didn't follow the rule that allows me to give you this blessing. Therefore, follow that rule and I can give you the blessing. I would see, he would cease to be God if he gave me the blessing if I didn't follow the rule. You begin to see that just universal nature of just obedience. Just simply the law of obedience. I don't know if the name Bruce R. McConkie rings a bell, but he was my absolute idol growing up. Every, if you know Bruce R. McConkie, you love Bruce R. McConkie. Elder McConkie said simply and just powerfully, and it just I just don't know that I could say it any better than this. He said, uh, I have so many Bruce R. McConkie quotes. Let me find it. I know I have it here. No, that's it. That's, hold on, that's consecration. Hold on. Oh, there it is. Come on, jump to it. Is there a Wi-Fi out again? All progression, all perfection, all salvation, all godliness, all that is right, and just and true. All good things come to those who live the laws of him who is eternal. There is nothing in all eternity more important than to keep the commandments of God. Law number one, the law of obedience. Now, when do we first make that covenant. When did you first promise to obey? So it's not a temple ordinance. I know it's repeated in the temple. And we're going to talk about why it's repeated in the temple. But could you be a member of the church without promising to obey? In fact, why was Jesus baptized? We often teach that baptism is a remission of sins. If that's the case, then would Jesus need to be baptized? He didn't need a remission of sins. And I know membership in the church, but what was the main reason Nephi gave that Jesus was baptized? To make the covenant. Turn with me to 2 Nephi chapter 31. What was the reason Jesus was baptized. Even though he didn't need a remission of your sins, he needed, do, do you all agree that Jesus needed to be baptized? Nephi says he hath need to be baptized. <coughs> Sorry, go to 2 Nephi chapter 31. Why does Jesus hath need to be baptized? So verse five. And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, how much more have we being unholy? So the question is, verse 7, know ye not that he was holy? But notwithstanding he was holy, 
He showeth unto the children of man. So what's one reason he was baptized? To give us an example. But why did he need to? He showeth unto man that according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the Father and made a promise. What did Jesus promise when he was baptized? That he would be obedient in keeping his commandments. Is it safe to say that obedience is the law that allows us to come into the church? If you are unwilling to be obedient, you cannot be a member of the church. So therefore, we're going to break the law of obedience into telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. So if we first made that covenant in baptism, why do we remake it in the temple? I've already done it. Unless there's another reason to take that covenant to a new level. So is it safe to say that celestial people do not obey? We kind of went through that, right? Telestial people do not obey. Terrestrial people obey. But so do celestial people. So if the difference between telestial and terrestrial is one obeys and one doesn't obey, what's the difference between terrestrial and celestial? It's not a matter of one obeys and one doesn't obey. They both obey. But what is terrestrial obedience and what is celestial obedience? Why would I remake this covenant in the temple. James? Part of me just thinks like terrestrial people are conveniently obedient. Like how convenient to be obedient. And then celestial is like a uh, desire for exact or perfect obedience. It's just like, no, I'm going to be obedient to the laws that have been given really no matter what. So let me say that with two different words. Terrestrial people have developed a discipline of obedience. I'm disciplined. So is my dog. My dog knows that if he poops on the carpet, he gets in trouble. And so my dog is disciplined to do what? Poop outside. My dog is disciplined. I'm avoiding a punishment. I know I need to poop outside. He is disciplined. Tell me why celestial people obey. It is their disposition. They have developed the desire to obey. So we were first introduced to the law of obedience when we came into the church when we came into the chapel and we made covenants and we promised to obey. For example, why did Adam offer sacrifices? Because he had a discipline. You told me I do it. That's a discipline. Now we go into the temple and we say, okay, Celestial people, everything that you've been describing, celestial people 
choose because they want to be like you. They imitate him. Celestial people are developing uh, a disposition of obedience. Let me give you a couple quotations. First, I love this one from Ezra Taft Benson. Ezra Taft Benson signed my mission call. He caught my attention. I listened very carefully to his quotations. I think he was a profound president of the church. He said the following, when obedience ceases to be an irritant, and becomes our quest, in that moment, God endows us with power. Now, terrestrial people will obey, but what do they often do when they obey? Complain. Are you aware of missionaries who complain about mission rules, but at least keep them? I will complete them, I will do what I'm asked to do, but I will whine and complain the whole time. So why are they obedient? They have developed a discipline to obey. And I would suggest they've arrived at a terrestrial level of thinking. He asked me, I'm going to do it. But when obedience ceases to become an irritant and becomes our quest... In that moment, God will endow us with power. I want to be what he is. I want to do what he does. And this is what he would do. It's my disposition. It's my deepest desire. So I believe we start in the waters of baptism and say, I promise. And we develop a habit. How many of you, when you were in seminary, read your scriptures every day? Now, what was the reason you read your scriptures every day? Habit. I've been asked. I'm going to do it. I made it a habit. Now, what's happened since then, Whitney? You worked hard to develop a habit. But let's be honest. The habit wasn't really giving you a whole lot. Now what's happened? The habit has turned into a desire. Do you see that transition? I think when we go into the temple and we make that covenant, we are taking the promise to do what he asked to a new level. I will want this. I will want to do what he does. That's more than I'm disciplined to do it. I did it. Why do you read your scriptures today, Whitney? Do you read your scriptures because it's a habit? Now, that's a good thing, right? Wouldn't you agree that that's a good thing? Why do you read your scriptures today, Whitney? I read them because I want to learn and grow and that desire to come closer to Christ. Now, was it a bad thing that your seminary teacher pushed you to develop a habit? No. But if that's all it ever was... Would you get to the point where you'd say, why am I doing this? And so the temple version of this law is, why are you doing this? 
Why are you obeying? Now, do you remember how we turned to the Sermon on the Mount to show the difference between celestial, terrestrial, and celestial? That was Matthew 5, right? Go to Matthew 6. This week's Come Follow Me is the next chapter. So in Matthew chapter 5, he said, okay, here's how you got here. I told you not to commit adultery. I, I told you not to kill. And you obeyed that commandment. Now I'm telling you, don't get angry. Do you remember chapter 5? So then in chapter 6, he drops the telestial. No mention of telestial attitudes, only the difference between celestial and terrestrial. And then he uses three things. He uses prayer, alms, prayer, and fasting. What is the reason he rebuked the Pharisees for doing alms, praying, and fasting? In other words, their reason was wrong. Their reason for doing good. So the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to ask us, what's your reason? What's your reason for doing good? I'll admit it's very, very easy to kind of get caught up in a terrestrial reason. When you give a good talk in church, you kind of want the praise, don't you? You want people to say it was a good talk. Well, you just turned your talk into a terrestrial talk. Because your motive was praise. And when they praise you, you got paid. There's your pay. Or sometimes, why do we obey? Tradition. Habit. We just do it. So now the temple is asking the question, why do you do it? Will you contemplate your reasons for obedience? Now, would it be a bad thing for someone to go on a mission for a terrestrial reason? I'm going on a mission because my brother did. I'm going on a mission to get the blessings. I'm going on a mission because I feel guilty if I don't. And what got me in the mission field was a terrestrial reason. But then something happened in the mission field. And that may not be why I finished I may have started for the wrong reason, but I finished for the right reason. So tell me, why do celestial people obey? In the temple, what kind of obedience are you promising? Not habit obedience, not tradition obedience, not get out of guilt obedience, not exchange obedience. You're promising what kind of obedience? I obey for one reason. What's the reason? I love him and I want to. I want to do what he asks me. My motive is to please him. How many times did Jesus say something like, I do only those things that please the Father? What was his motive? His motive was to please his father, to be like the father. 
That is the law of obedience, temple style. I pray you have developed a discipline of obedience. Now, develop the disposition. Let me read one more quotation. This is from Boyd K. Packer about his teenage children. But I've thought a lot of, I, the reason I quote this isn't because you're going to have teenage children and you need to know what to do with teenage children. This is me and Heavenly Father. His fatherly key is between me and Heavenly Father. So let me share this thought from Boyd K. Packer, who served as acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve for many years. He said the following, in our family, I have a key that I use, a kind of fatherly key. With my children, I know when it's time to lift supervision. As I meet young people around the church, they're always saying, when will my parents ever think I have enough maturity to act for myself? I know when in my family. I have employed this key with each of my children. I know that they are ready for full freedom in any field of endeavor the very minute they stop resenting supervision. At that moment, I can back off and let them go alone and really just be there to respond if they come for help. Do you see why I quote that in terms of the temple? With his children, he knows when to give them freedom when they stop resenting supervision. Temple obedience is an invitation to stop resenting supervision. To want to obey, to make it a quest, because it's my desire, it's my nature. I don't do it out of habit. I do it because I want to please Him. My motive is to be like Him. Do you see what temple obedience is? So, if you are here, you're in good company. Now I invite you to step up and go back to the temple and remake that covenant and say, this is the moment I stop whining about obedience. I stop whining about the meeting I have to go to but I see it as an opportunity to bless Heavenly Father's children and to please my Father. My motive is changing. Do you see the invitation from the temple? I am changing the reason I obey. Now, the only way I can change that reason is if I let go of the reasons I don't. The only reason, the only way I can choose that obedience 
is if I let go of the reasons I don't. So why don't you obey like that? And I would dare say everything out of your mouth is either terrestrial or telestial. So the only way you're going to obey is if you do what? Let go. And hence, what does he do? There you go. The reason we do this in the temple is to add the covenant we didn't add at baptism. What didn't we add at baptism? Another law. What's the other law? The law of sacrifice. So if I'm going to fully do what he asks for the reason he wants me to do them, what must I do? Let go of lesser reasons. Heavenly Father is never going to ask me to let go of celestial things. Tell me what sacrifice almost always pertains to. The law of sacrifice is letting go of a lesser thing. It's letting go of the fact that I'm fooled into thinking those things will make me happy. Let go of lesser thinking. Again, Bruce R. McConkie, I'll say it his way. Elder McConkie says this. Sacrifice pertains to mortality. In the eternal sense, there is none. Sacrifice involves giving up the things of this world because of the promises of blessings to be gained in a better world. In the eternal perspective, there is no sacrifice in giving all these things up, including the laying down of one's life if eternal life is gained through such a course. The law of sacrifice is to get rid of the obstacles of obedience. I promise to obey, and I promise to get rid of the reasons I don't obey. Now, before we jump in there next week, let me just show you that natural procession. Let me just show you where someone who's working on obedience is then given the law of sacrifice. Turn to the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19 is the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, do you remember how it goes? <coughs> Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 16. Good master, what good thing should I do that I may have eternal life? What did he call Jesus? Good master. What does Jesus do? I love what the Savior does. Why are you calling me good? There is but one that is God. Now, I don't think we need to worry about the language, but what was he doing? Instead of taking credit, he was pointing to the Father. Always faithful, always Jesus, always pointing to the Father. Good master, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Verse 7, if you want to enter into life, do what? 
That's which law? That's the first law. You want to go to the celestial kingdom? You want to enter into life? Keep the commandments. He says, which commandments? Jesus lists them. And then verse 20, he says, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Is this an obedient young man? Yes. Is he ready for the celestial kingdom? No. Because there's something he does lack. What does he lack? What does the Savior then say? There's another law. If you want to enter the celestial kingdom, you must obey the second law. And he gives him the law of sacrifice. In his particular case, what was he asked to do? Let go of your earthly possessions and come and follow me and you'll have eternal possessions. Was he willing to do it? An obedient young man was not willing to let go. Do you see the second law? Okay, one more. Luke chapter 14. Turn, turn to Luke chapter 14. This is where the Savior couches all of this in counting the cost. Make sure you count the cost. He gives the parable of a man wanting to build a, a house or build something, and he doesn't count the cost. We all have houses in our neighborhood that are unfinished, right? That have been unfinished for years. What happened? Someone didn't figure out the full cost of finishing it, got to a point and couldn't finish the house. And it sits vacant. And Jesus says, don't let that be your discipleship. Don't be the unfinished house because you can't pay the price of exaltation. So couched in that setting, Jesus is then going to say, here are the two costs. If you're going to follow Christ all the way to the celestial kingdom, here are the two costs. And let me get there. Sorry, I'm not in Luke 14. Cost number one is in the footnote for 27b. Find the footnote. It's at the bottom. You don't need to change any pages. But verse 27, he's, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Who wants to pick it up right after that? Wherefore, James? Settle this in your hearts, that you will do the things which I shall teach. What do we call that? The law of obedience. The cost of going all the way is the law of obedience. How many commandments can I break in the celestial kingdom? I've got to take my obedience how far? All the way. And then he says, as soon as he gives, look at verse 28, Happel, you know, here's the man, you need to count the cost. Yeah, who doesn't sit down and figure out if he can finish the tower? Lest happily, verse 29, after he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. And that all that behold begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now go to the footnote. What's the second cost of discipleship? Who will read after that word finish? This man began to build and was not able to finish. Kenneth, do you have that? Footnote 30a. And this he said, signifying that 
dying, there should not be any man follow him unless he was able to continue saved. Oh, whoops, sorry, wrong one. Wrong one. I want to go, my fault. Let's go back to 26. If any man, sorry, can you read this one? If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, now finish 26B. 26. Um, or a husband, yea, his own life also, or in other words, is afraid to lay down his life for my sake, cannot be my disciple. Now, what do we call that? The law of sacrifice. So Jesus says, look, there's two. If you're going to go all the way, here's what it's going to cost you. Number one, you need to be willing to do everything I ask. I don't know. We're going to work on that and I'll help you. And we're going to, there's going to be repentance and we're going to, but eventually you have to become the person that does everything that is asked because you want to do it. And number two, how many terrestrial and celestial things can I take to the celestial kingdom? How much pride can I have in the celestial kingdom? So between today and the day I walk into the celestial kingdom, what do I have to do with my pride? I have to let it go. And those two are the first laws of heaven. Obey and then get rid of the reasons you don't obey. And we will pick it up in next week. But as you go throughout this week, would you ponder, why do you obey? What's your reason? Those of you who are missionaries, why do you follow the mission rules? Why? Is it because you have a discipline of obedience? Or have you developed a disposition? And what does that look like? What does a disposition of obedience look like? Someday I hope to inherit all of the power that God possesses, but I know I can't have it until I would do with it what He would do. So I practice that by doing what He asks me to do. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.